Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hello, everyone. It's Thursday night. Another uh, episode of Finsider Radio. I want to say hello to all of our listeners in South Florida, uh, the Southeast. I'm in the Midwest. I know I've got some. We do have some listeners out in California, which always fascinates me. But hello, everyone. Uh, we're going to be on the air for about an hour. Maybe we'll do a little more. We had a shorter show last week, and it ended up uh, biting us in the ass as uh, we, we ended up uh, having a really good conversation about a couple of topics, so we could pick that up tonight and hopefully take some take some calls and maybe some we'll answer a couple of tweets too. Uh first before we get to that though I want to introduce my uh good friend and co host, Duke. What's up? Nah, not a whole lot, man. Good. Uh well uh one thing we haven't done in the past couple of weeks is we haven't taken a lot of calls. We actually had one last week from our, our friend Dolphin Fan for Life. We're looking to do more of that now that we're getting closer to the closer and closer to August and the preseason and whatnot. So if you guys want to go ahead and give us a call tonight, 347-326-9461. Uh, I'll be taking your calls. I'm working the board, too, in addition to sort of leading the discussion we'll have. Uh, and then if you guys want to go ahead and follow me on Twitter, it's uh, KMB, M is in Miami, 8488 at... Uh, uh, actually, it's, it's not even an email address. It's at. So uh, I can take your your tweets as well. I know a lot of you already follow me, so the Twitter handle is not as much of an issue for you. And then in a moment, we'll be bringing on our uh, our friend Lewis, who will go ahead and participate in all of our fun discussions tonight. Uh, one and, thing uh, I want to know, I'm, though. Go ahead. I was say, while I'm at it, uh, my Twitter handle is at the Earl. Double O seven. That's right. I have less. I have less followers than everyone else. So, uh, I mean, you know, I don't have that many followers. You know, who's got a shocking amount of followers is uh, James. James yeah. has a lot of Twitter, Twitter followers, and uh, it's it's funny we mentioned him because uh, until a little a little while ago, a little earlier today, I was I was worried for his well being. Followed the whole DeAndre Jordan place yesterday. For those of you who don't know, uh, James is Mr. Dallas Mavericks. He loves that team. So I needed proof of life on him, and he, he sent me a text a little while ago. He, he, uh, we were talking about how ridiculous it, ridiculous it is that Taco Bell has uh, delivery service now. So uh, he's okay. I'm glad. I was worried about him last night. That was rough. Like, I felt bad, and I'm not even a Mavs fan. So... Any of you? And it seems like a, a fair amount of Dolphins fans are Dallas Mavericks fans too. I've never really been able to understand that, but I, I've definitely encountered more than my fair share on Twitter and through through the Finsider website. There's a lot of people who, when they watch basketball, they don't watch the Miami Heat; they watch the Dallas Mavericks. So oh, um, Heat Twitter is Heat Twitter is fun. Heat Twitter is incredibly entertaining. For, for so many reasons. I know who you're thinking of in particular. <laughs> that guy is funny. But he's also funny when he tees off on on some of the local beat writers and whatnot. 
I actually I stopped following him though a couple of months ago just because when when the Cavs were going through the playoffs or whatnot, he was so over the top upset about uh, like the Cavs bandwagon and whatnot that I mean I just I, I couldn't follow him anymore. Yeah, and I mean I understand his his point of view though because I mean I don't really I don't really have any teams that I that I follow that I would consider uh, that have kind of been through what the Heat have been through. Um, because I mean you had a you had a good team, and then LeBron James does that you know the decision thing, which is a, a bad idea all the way around. I think it would have been different if he had just said you know if he just announced he was going you know just regular you know whoever the basketball version of Adam Schefter is broke the news that he's going to Miami. I don't think he would have been. Um, he he received kind of quite the 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 hate he he did, but I think a lot of people that like, kind of turned them off that that whole incident. So a lot of people was like, "Well, I'm rooting against him now because of that." Well, he went to the Heat, and so there's all these Heat fans that people are hating on their team now because of one player. And then you know there's a lot of bandwagon people that go along with LeBron James. So you know these guys are like, you know, it's kind of like how we used to talk about how uh, ESPN and several media sources were always kind of down on the Dolphins, and He's like, you know, well, if if this team, another basketball team, did the same thing as the Heat, now they would be praised. The Heat get blasted, and I think it's all because of LeBron. So, I mean, I, I envision it as if um, the Dolphins were to somehow sign, you know, a big NFL like well, Dominican Sue, and then uh, two years later he he goes back to Detroit, and all these they're suddenly for the two years he's here, they were these all these or however many years there's all these. Uh, might be Dolphins fans, and now they're not Dolphins fans anymore. So I think, you know, hardcore fans would kind of got a little chapter that. So I, I understand his point of view. It's just it's just fun to listen to. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Heat are by far my least favorite team in South Florida. But I mean, it surprises people when I tell them that the Dolphins aren't my favorite team in South Florida because I grew up playing hockey. as my favorite sport. So I'm definitely a I love the Florida Panthers. And then my number, my second favorite team, this really throws people, is the now Miami Marlins. And that's another reason I stopped following that guy. He teased off on the Marlins nonstop. And I, I don't blame him just because the owner is such a, such a jag. I mean, it's incredibly frustrating when you win two World Series and both times you just fire sale the team right off the bat. Instead of saying like, okay, let's see where we can go with this, this sport where you can continue to pay to pay these guys, your limitations are only within your own franchise. The league isn't play, placing any sort of of salary cap over your head or saying like you can't spend this much money. Yeah. So I'm so that's frustrating. It'd be one thing if these guys were cash trapped and they they robbed Peter to pay Paul and now they won this championship, but now they're going to have to go ahead and sell off pieces. That's not the case in baseball. You can keep those guys for as long as you want them. And the fact that, the, in my opinion, I really believe the Marlins over the past 20, 20 years have had a, a top three team in terms of scouting, farm, and development. Because how else, I mean, do you bring these guys up who turn into incredible superstars, do great things for the team, and then go, and I mean, they're <laughs> – they're on the they're on the first flight out of there after that team does anything. They've only been yes, to the playoffs uh, twice. The Marlins are the Yankees and Red Sox minor league team. Yeah, in a lot of ways. 
So you know, uh, and it's just it's such a it's a reverse, you know, because people are a lot of people want to listen to Stephen Ross for a spot team. It's like they're saying, well, he's doing all this stuff like the orange carpet and all that stuff like that. But if you flip those roles around, let's say baseball had a salary cap and the NFL did not, then the Dolphins would have the equivalent of the the uh, AFC Pro Bowl team on their roster right now because the roster would just make it rain on everybody. Um, oh, no doubt. I mean, that's, we, a lot of people I mean, heard, Stephen Ross. Oh, I was just I mean, going to say that I mean, yeah. he's easy to make fun of sometimes, but you can't even come close to suggesting that he doesn't want to win and that he doesn't care. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of missteps along the way. I mean, the, the Orange Carpet uh, Club Live or Club Live or whatever that stupid thing was called uh, and the the mass uh, minority or ownership early on with, you know, Furby and uh, the Estefans were in there and Mark Anthony – and uh, J-Lo. I mean, it, that's incredibly obnoxious, and I didn't blame other teams when they were making fun of us for that, but I get what he's trying to do, because South Florida is a very fickle sports market. We talk about that all the time. So I understand that you're you're trying to find a hook. You have a team that is good enough to make the playoffs, I mean, in, in prior years. I believe they're definitely good, good enough to make the playoffs now, but you have this team that's sort of a middling team. You know, they can... They're finishing seven to nine, eight and eight every year, and you're looking for a hook, something to really. And I mean, the Wildcat only took that those guys so far in terms of marketability. So what are you looking for at that point? And he was really going for that. I mean, he he approached it like a businessman, which I mean, you certainly can't blame him for. But there's there are very distinct limitations when it comes to approaching a sport purely from a business standpoint, especially when you're trying to market the team. Yeah, and NFL fan bases are so – NFL fan bases are, are pretty, you know, in my opinion, I don't think there's a lot of just casual NFL fans out there. I mean, at least from my experience. I mean, there's people who they might follow – they may not watch it very much, but they have a favorite team. Um, you know, they, they may not be as into it as we are, but – you, you just can't say, so, well, you know, I kind of root for this team, or I, I pull for this particular player. You know, you, you know just, I'm a fan of this particular team. So, if, you know, whereas basketball, you do get a lot of people who follow players around. You don't get football as much. And so he's, he's got that going. And plus, by the, time, by the time he bought the team, you know, then he's going to have to go up against the Heat. And here they are, you know, they're competing for championships all the time. and and, and you know, you've got Chad Heaney, you know, throwing the ball to somebody else or something, you know. So, you know, I, I understand it was a tough sell for him to to, to make a team that uh, to, to turn a city back from Pat Riley and the Heat to um, to the Dolphins. And that's that's part of yeah. why I think Indominus Sue is here, not just because he's a great player, but you know, he he is a marketable star. I mean. I've seen a lot of stuff on NFL.com and and Bleacher Report and a lot of these other places that you see kind of total NFL stories, and you see uh, who, who's this great player, who's this, and all this stuff, and they talk about all this different kind of things, and there's a Namakan Sue's face, and they always show him in in the mini camp Dolphins jersey. Like that's you know 20% of why he's here. Um, but to, just just to put the Dolphins out there. I mean, look at what all the other teams, you know, Rex Ryan's a big name. He went to the Bills. 
Jets brought in Revis and Cromartie that are for their secondary. The Pats are the Pats. So the Dolphins, you know, kept in line by bringing in Dominic Sue in. So just just by him being here, it makes the team media relevant again, and that's part of part of the marketing plan. Uh, one thing I'll say, and then I want to bring on our uh, our special guest host for tonight. I believe it's Lewis on the line. It's either him or Chris Broussard. I'm kidding. We only have real journalists on this show. Uh, one thing I want to say that has always frustrated me about South Florida sports, is, especially you brought up the Heat and Dolphins dynamic when LeBron was, was down there. Uh, it always frustrated me that those teams and the sports culture down there as a whole couldn't have these teams working in concert. It always had to be like one or the other. And I don't see that in other places. I find that like up here in Chicago, people are Cubs fans and when they're not going to baseball games and drinking their faces off in the bleachers, you know, they're in they they'll go to both games. I mean they love both teams. You know, they want to go to Soldier Field on Sundays and for some reason I don't understand and they want to go sit by the lake and and watch football. And I mean even in places that have had a lot of or very few championships in terms of the city. I, I look at Minneapolis as one of them. I mean, outside of uh, the, the Twins, uh, I mean, that uh, that city just hasn't had a lot to celebrate in terms of sports. But, I mean, the people who live there, they love all the teams. And I understand there's, there's you know, when you're in South Florida, there's more to do, especially in terms of you're out on the beach, you're out on the ocean, you're out doing things, the nightlife and whatnot although I love Minneapolis, but it's, you just see other places and usually teams work in concert with each other. Like everyone loves all the teams. They're not playing against each other. And I've always felt like the heat and dolphins There's always like, well, this is LeBron's town now. Well, I mean, why, why does it have to be that way? I I mean, I never, I never really understood that. I mean, like football is only, uh, the the two sports only uh, overlap for what if you're in the playoffs three months November December and January so I mean I I just don't understand why it had to be one or the other that always really frustrated me uh, I'm gonna go ahead and he's been waiting to come on for a while so uh, I'm gonna go ahead and bring on uh, Lewis is that you No it's Chris Broussard How was your Chick Fil A today? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Nice chicken club sandwich, peach milkshake to wash it down with. I've never had a milkshake from Chick-fil-A. I hear they're really good, though. You need to get one. <laughs> like, you can't leave Chick-fil-A, especially in the summertime, without getting one of those peach milkshakes. I've left Chick-fil-A in the summertime many times without getting one of those milkshakes, so maybe I'll do so tomorrow just on your account. Just you need to get a peach milkshake. Okay. It's blasphemy to not get leave without one of those milkshakes, especially since they're only limited time for this time. Oh. Uh, one thing we yeah, talked they, about they, last week. Uh, go ahead. No, it's fine. I, we were just, just going to rant some more about the milkshake, so we can move on. Oh, yeah. Well, then, yeah, I definitely don't want to listen to that. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, one thing Duke brought up last week, and I thought it was a great conversation piece that we had. We had Dolphin fan for life on, too, uh, is the stability of the Dolphins' left tackle position, the fact that Brandon Albert, already looking banged up, a lot of people already, depending on who you follow on Twitter, they're flipping out about it, because, I mean, there's a couple of positions on the offensive line where you think, like, ah, we might have somebody who can fill that. 
uh, left tackle, not one of them. So it, it, I understand that people look at the contingency plan as if something happens, you throw Jawan James over there. In my opinion, that's almost criminal. And that I believe that guy's a pure right tackle, and he's in it going into his second year. I'd rather not throw him all over the offensive line when you could potentially have a guy over on the right side of your line in James for the next decade to play our cards right. I believe he will be that good. I think he's already making a lot of strides in that department. So this is, I mean, you're looking at it, this has become a, a considerable uh, point of concern going into a season with high expectations. You know, Tannehill's got the contract extension. You've got all of these fancy new weapons in the passing game. You've got Indomitian too on the other side of the ball ready to raise absolute hell in the trenches and everyone behind him ready to follow suit just because, I mean, so much so much focus is going to be placed on Sue and if you have Jordan Phillips next to him or, you know, you got Olivia Vernon coming off the edge, I mean, you know, and Cameron Wake, of course, you got all these options in there. I mean, it's, it's staggering when you think about it. The left tackle thing is troubling, though. So going into the season, how worried are you guys and what is your preferred method to fix this? Do you wait until the draft? Because, I mean, there are some good left tackles coming out. Well, the draft's the only place that you can really truly fix it. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anyone out there right now in free agency that you can just say, yeah, if Brandon Albert goes down or can't play, this guy's going to take up the slack. Um, I think they would roll with Jason Fox. Um, I think he would do all right. I think... I, I think kind of what's going on, if you ask me, would be that they're they're waiting on on kind of training camps and see how Albert's doing, and then I think if they think he's going to miss some time in the regular season, then they're going to throw some money at Evan Mathis. I think that's kind of what they're waiting on, uh, and that just makes sense because you have a weaker left tackle, but you have a strong left guard, and. If Albert's healthy and he's ready to come back, then I don't think they would go for Evan Mathis. I think they would take their chances with Jamil Douglas or Dallas Thomas, who, you know, a lot of people are down on Dallas Thomas. I think he would be okay at left guard. I'm not saying he's the answer by any means, but I think he'd be okay. He'd, he'd be adequate in between Albert and Pouncey. I don't think they want to go into the season with Jason Fox, Dallas Thomas on the left side. So, my, in my opinion... If Albert's not ready, then they're going to throw money at Mathis, and they're going to say, right, we'll, we'll make the left tackle position. We'll, we'll let Jason Fox hold that down. We'll have Evan Mathis over there who's good enough to man the guard spot on his own, and then we can you know, make do with the tackle spot. If Albert's good, then they're just going to say, we'll, we'll roll with Thomas and see what he's got or Douglas or whoever. So, it, And then what you're going to have to do to fix it is I think you're going to have to invest a draft pick. I mean, if you look at the team – there's a number of, of positions that need help that you could use a first-round pick on, but, you know, there's there's young players at that position. I mean, for all we know, uh, Jamar Taylor starts this year, becomes a, a good starting cornerback. Uh, maybe Will Davis plays good beside him. Maybe that, uh, Bryce McCain or Bobby McCain. Maybe that Tony Lippett becomes, you know, something. You've got players. There's just nothing at the left tackle position. You can say, well, if, you know, we've got a, a future plan for this position. So I, I think that's a major need going into the 2016 draft. And, you know, 
you look at some of those prospects. I don't know that they would trade up for one. But, um, you know, I was, back in 2013, I was kind of against the idea of trading up, even though I, I like the on Jordan, the prospect. I didn't really like the trade up. But now looking back, it you know, it makes sense. You were going to do that to take Lane Johnson. And then, you know, you wouldn't have Albert, of course, but you'd have Lane Johnson left half the spot, and I think you'd be all right there. So, um, I know fans wouldn't like two two offensive tackles and back-to-back drafts, but you would have made – or maybe they don't take Juwan James. I mean, who knows? But, I mean, I think it would – I just think that's, that's, in my opinion, the primary focus of the next draft. Get that, get that future left tackle and, you know, worry about everything else later. I'm pretty much in agreement with you, except for the whole Lane Johnson part of it. Uh, Johnson has gotten into trouble just like Dion, so I'm not going to be jumping up for joy for Lane Johnson at all. Well, he, I would just mean he's got in terms of trade-up. I did not want to trade-up at all. Uh, I wanted to stay at 12 and take uh, Desmond Trufant. Um, that that was who I wanted. Uh, I mean, You're a Trufant trooper. Yeah, I was all about uh, Trufant in the, the 2013 draft. Um, and, uh, so I was like, you stay at 12, you take that guy, you're set. And, you know, uh, looking at, looking at that class, he so far has been the best cornerback of that class. Uh, pro football focus rates him pretty high. There's a lot of people that are high on him. So that would have worked. I'm just saying for the trade up for what you, for what you could have got out of it. I mean, I don't know. Looking back, Lane Johnson may have been a safer bet than, than Deion Jordan, although, I mean, if he's in trouble or something, I mean, Six in one hand, half a dozen in the other, but you that know, was a fairly volatile for uh, top ten that year, though. When you look at it, so I think people were so spoiled by what happened the previous spring when you had the the Andrew Luck class, and I mean we're sitting at eight and we're able to get a franchise quarterback. And the, I mean the next year, I mean just not a really, imp- I mean far from an impressive array of quarterbacks in in there. Uh, the defenders were were popular. The fact that you were within an eyelash of three offensive tackles going consecutively at the top of the first round, I thought said a lot. And I love the offensive tackle position. But when that's the only thing going at the top of the first round, uh, something's off. So, I mean, in yeah, hindsight, and, you look and, back at it now. And, you... and it's not just the 2012 draft. I mean, look at, look at the 2011 class and what you had, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um Coming out of that class, and you turn around with 2012, and you've got uh, you've got three quarterbacks taken high. Um, Russell Wilson came in later. Um, Didn't we you know, go in Luke the first Keekley, two? You had some. Uh, I mean, you had all these. You had a good draft, two good drafts in a row, and the 13 draft just kind of, I guess, fell back to the mean and or regressed to the mean or whatever they say. And then, uh, yeah, it just looks bad in hindsight. I mean. I don't know, you and I, Keith, you and I talked about it. I said, if we had stuck with our draft picks, we'd have done all right in that draft. But uh, yeah, Curiously, they yeah. haven't gotten, gotten in touch with us about about doing some uh, some scouting for them. But, yeah, I mean, you were – I will say that we both went into that thinking that we, were, we had a, a chance at Desmond Trufant when he was uh, considered a second-round pick. He was considered an early day two pick, and then of course the combat comes around. I think he runs something like a four three. I think it was like a four three eight, four three nine, and forget. But really fast. He, I'm, 
that was the one thing that people weren't weren't certain about him was the uh, the uh, the speed that he had. So you check that box to coin a phrase, and I mean at that point you think like, okay, I'm okay with taking this guy at 12. And we we talked about that. I know we got a little bit of flack for that. A lot of people disagree with us, thinking like he's not that good of a cornerback, overrated, trade back, and all this garbage. Which is, I'm sure those people love the uh, Jawan James pick the next year if they thought that that was what they would have called a reach, uh, quote unquote. So, yeah, I just I look back on the 2013 draft and there's some really good players. And I agree. Like, I mean, Lane Johnson. I mean, ha- hasn't been a slam dunk. And uh, frankly, if he had performed in Miami early in his career the way he did in Philadelphia. Dolphin fans would have immediately called that guy the biggest draft bust of all time. Because I remember watching a couple of early Eagles games that year, and he looked awful. He was not very good at all. But, I mean, the thing is, yeah, he's a rookie. He's getting it together. He's playing. I mean, you're throwing the guy in. I They stuck him over at right tackle. I mean, he's very few guys just come in and just murder it from from day one. So... And yet, Juwan James actually did well starting out at right tackle. I think the second game of the season, he went up against, uh, I think the only sack he allowed was actually a uh, uh, the the guard, whoever the right guard was, kind of messed up and uh, and uh, allowed... I think it was Dallas Thomas. Yeah. Uh, right guard is not his spot. Um, but yeah, I mean, so he did well starting out as a, as a left, as a right tackle, so... I mean, that yeah, that's draft all the way around. Whereas with Lane Johnson, I mean, you're taking him at third overall because you believe that he's going to be your left tackle. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I agree. true font on, on that. In that, it wasn't even the draft stuff. I mean, the, the combine for me was just was um, pretty much just uh, solidifying what I thought was. I watched him at the Senior Bowl, and I was watching the one-on-one drills with the wide receiver, and that drill is specifically set up for the receiver to succeed. And yet he was just shutting down people. And you never see a corner shut down somebody in those one-on-one drills. They never do. Even the best ones, uh, the best prospects don't do that. And yet he was doing it. Like, these guys just could not get open against him. And I thought to myself, that shouldn't happen. That guy's pretty good. And it was shortly after that that his stock went from kind of a late second round to first round. Uh, it just kept kept going up, so, uh, yeah, when I when you watch a guy, I mean, it all goes back to watching tape, and I think you and I probably watched more tape that year than I have before or since, but, you know, that mm-hmm. was just, uh, that was that was what sold me on him, and so I, I kind of watched for some stuff like that now when I look at prospects, and uh, probably when college football season starts up, you know, here in a, another month and a half or so, I'll be, I'll be watching offensive tackles and all of that kind of stuff too. So, uh, yeah, cornerbacks for me, it's all about it's all about watching how, uh, I think, Lewis, you talked about what Sam Madison said, watching about the hips. Watch how they turn. Watch how they can maneuver. A lot of, I've seen a lot of tweets today from, uh, from some PFF guys that basically say linear athletes are not necessarily good athletes. Just because a guy comes out there uh, and can run – you know, a four three or whatever else like that doesn't mean that he's fluid enough to, to flip his hips and keep going. Because yeah, in college you can get by with that, but you're not going to get by with that when you're facing you know 
uh, when you're facing a Greg Jennings, I mean, let's say you've got that guy facing Greg Jennings because we saw what he did to Brent Grimes, who was a you know pro bowler. Uh, that guy, he can run fast in a straight line. He gets back there, and Greg Jennings is going to spin him around and drill him in the ground and get open for a touchdown. So you need to have these guys that can move. So that that that's what sold me on Trufant, and that's what I watch for. Really, any cornerbacks, just how they can react, how they can how they can spin around and move, and because that's what you're going to need to do. That's why I was always so against the whole Trey Wayne's pick that everybody was saying, and uh, so many people on um, this this one guy who was on the Finsiders chat room, and uh, he kept talking about how Trey Wayne's going to be a Pro Bowl. Everybody else was stupid for thinking otherwise, and so far, uh, the person who's been right has not been him. As reports from Vikings camp has been that Trey Wayne's has been struggling mightily. He 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 doesn't have it. So, I, I already I go with I go with what the Pro Bowlers and the Dolphin Hall of Famer guy says. I, uh, is there a Dolphins Hall of Fame? There should be. Sam Madison said from day one the most important thing that a cornerback needs is hips because he needs to be able to turn and catch up himself and keep up with his receiver. If he can't do that, then he's going to be going up against the the fact that he has to be able to turn the whole time. That's what's keeping Will Davis from being good. That's what keep me, that, that's what keeps a lot of players from being good. Some players can overcome it, like Avante Davis, but a lot of them don't because to be a cornerback, you need to be able to turn whenever you need to turn. When, when you're watching, I thought, Vontae, I thought Vontae loosened up considerably once he got into the Dolphins system. I mean, I, I never thought his his hits were great, but I would also uh, hold but, off. But on, one thing about um, Vontae on, though. Sorry to interrupt. One thing about Vontae, he's built like a linebacker. I mean, I saw that dude up close uh, in 2012 at that Panthers preseason game. I took a picture of him. I mean, he looks as big as Carlos Stansby walking out of there. I mean, so oh, he's enormous. So yeah, maybe maybe he needs to maybe he needs to lay off the weights or something because I mean, he's a big dude. So for him to not necessarily have the most fluid hips is understandable when you're just that you know slow. Well, he's an, an anomaly in that. He, I mean, he had the hip tightness when he came out of Illinois, but I mean, a lot of people were into his speed. But the one of his best traits, he is outstanding at turning and locating the football when he's in coverage. So it's really weird. It's almost like he's able to circumvent some of the problems he's had with his hips because of just how good he is at turning and finding the ball. And he's gotten better at making a play on the ball. I know that one of the criticisms for him early on, and it was completely valid was the fact that, I mean, his ball skills just kind of sucked. So, I mean, he's gotten better at that. But it's it's weird because I remember a lot of, uh, for him early on, you could tell that, I mean, he could find that football every time. I always come back to that game in Miami, his rookie year in 2009, the, uh, the Orange Out game. And uh, when uh, they had him on Braylon Edwards, and Braylon Edwards was taking it to him just because, I mean, whenever it got to a point where he would get, Vontae Davis to flip his hips and chase him in coverage, uh, he was able to take advantage of that. But you could tell that later in that game, Vontae was able to turn and he was fi- he was finding the ball and he was in a position to make a play on it. Braylon Edwards just played really well that night. So, I mean, he did improve there. So, I mean, I agree, though, that, I mean, hips are incredibly important, although I wouldn't use just training camps as a uh, confirmation that Trey Wayne isn't going to be any good. I don't think that he was ever going to be, or didn't think he was ever going to be as good as people had him trumped up to be. 
just because I think that there are a couple of, I don't know if you call it flaws. I would say uh, weaknesses in his game that are awfully hard to come, to overcome in addition to the whole hip problem. The fact that he's that big and shies away from contact makes me nervous. Because in my opinion, that's not really something you learn. You either have a mentality to get in there and get dirty or you don't. Either that or you're, you're a finesse corner. And a guy that I oftentimes come back to is Sean Smith. I remember looking at Sean Smith at Utah, and I was like, oh, man, I bet you this guy can lay the wood. You know, he's 6'3". I mean, he's long. Uh, I mean, he's just a big guy in coverage. And you just thought that this guy was just going to be an absolute thumper. And, I mean, it was just arm tackle city. And, I mean, he has improved in that regard as he's moved down from the Dolphins. I think he's a good corner. But you always wanted to see more from him in terms of physicality. So, I mean, I wouldn't close the book on Trey Waynes just yet. But I'm glad the Vikings took him and not Devontae Parker, let's put it that way. Yeah, and if, when you're watching the combine, the one drill for corners, I mean, forget forget the 40 times. I mean, as long as they run decent, you know, if they run a 4.8 or something, there's problems. But as long as they run in the 4.3 to 4.5 range, you're okay. Watch the drill where they do the back pedal and have to flip and turn and run. That right there will tell you everything you need to know about how he's going to be in coverage. Uh, or how athletic he's going to be in coverage, because the guys that struggle with that are the ones that they always look like they're kind of stumbling out. And for most of us, that would look like us if we're out there doing that drill. Let's just be honest about it. But those guys, I remember Harrison Smith was the guy that Mike Mayock just kept raving about. It's like, watch his hips. Watch how fluid he turns. Those are the guys that you want to see, because when they're in that back pedal, and then they're in that back pedal, and the receiver makes that move, you've got to watch them turn. And if they even slightly struggle... NFL level, that receiver is going to go bottom. So watch that drill. Watch how fluid their hips are in that drill. And even if they're a fifth-round prospect, you can watch that and say, right, that guy's got a chance because of it. Or if they're a first-round prospect, and you see trouble there. You say, well, maybe he's not as good as we think. So uh, the drills are always more fun to watch. Even though the 40s are more exciting uh, as far as hype, it's, uh, you know, Drills are always similar. My favorite is the kick, side, the kick slide drill for the offensive tackles because I mean, you can pretty much tell then and there who's going to be uh, decent and who's not going to be. Yeah, the proof is in the pudding with that drill. And I agree that a lot of those agility drills, aside from the I, – I, everyone makes a big deal out of the 40s. The 40s, the rock star of the, the combine. But – all those other agility cone drills and whatnot, they they're they are for many scouts are what paints the rest of the picture in terms of scouting, everything they've suspected about these kids going into the process. I mean that either confirms it or or it confirms their ability or it confirms their doubt. So I uh, one thing that you guys touched upon and I wanna go ahead and confirm that you think that we need to use our first round pick next year on an offensive tackle. Are we all in agreement there? Yes. I'm not uh, additionally, I mean, I mean, like maybe if you're in a position where there's a can't miss yeah. guy, but in my opinion right now, and I think that this is something that I, I feel quite a few people w- uh, would confirm my line of thinking. You just signed Tannehill to this big time extension. Or, I mean, for him, uh, technically second contract. Got him. You. you for yourself and your fans, confirm that right now he is your franchise quarterback. You brought in all these weapons for him, all these guys, and they're not. You didn't just 
mortgage the team by bringing in some high-priced vets. You have young kids, draft picks, uh, young receivers ready to to grow with this quarterback you have in there. You have the defense that, I mean, flawed in certain areas. I mean, the certain areas in the um, the secondary are still suspect, but the trenches are hard to get over if you're a Dolphins fan. I mean, they're, they're looking good. The only thing really that's going to hold this team back, provided that everything goes kind of the way you think it will, is if something happens on the offensive line, because then everything becomes unhinged. All of a sudden, your franchise quarterback is getting is back there, uh, returning to the Dolphins of bold and getting smoked all the time. It, 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 when that extension went into effect, in my opinion, the need for an offensive tackle went from a need to an absolute top line priority. Yeah, and I. I mean, I mean, you've got Albert under contract for three more years, and he let's say he plays fourteen games this year, which would be good. I mean, that's you want sixteen, fourteen, I did, I did, fourteen regular season. Then I'm kind of like, well, if a guy's there, uh, I, you know, I was, I was reading some tweets from Oscar and another guy today, I can't remember who, and they were talking about state. It's a get, you know, safety out there. That you can get, and I'm expecting obviously the Dolphins to be in the playoffs, so they're going to be you know past 20. So let's say there's a guy there in that range and he's a safety. You know, I, I would I might look to over left tackle, assuming Brandon Albert looks healthy all year. Now if he comes in and plays, uh, he he plays okay. I mean, if he plays 14 games at the level he was playing last year, that's good. If he plays 16 games at you know, mediocre level, then, um, you know, if that, if that leg is bothering them that much, then I would, uh, yeah. But, I, I, I mean, I'm just kind of nitpicking here. I'm, I'm in agreement. I think that's a top priority at this point. Um, you know, and I think some other positions may, may come into play because, I mean, there's going to be a cap, some more cap crunch next year. And I think guys like Brent Grimes and maybe some of these older veterans are going to be victims of, of – or uh, cap casualties, so you know, I don't think Albert will be, but I, I think you know, they at least need two corners to step up this year to prove they can be starters, and that way they would be comfortable letting Grimes go, and then you know, possibly a couple other guys like Meese or whatever. So it just depends. But yeah, I think left tackles. It, it's definitely a top three need with corner and. uh I can't remember the other position that I had on my on my list there, but it's it, it's in there, and depending on how guys play, it may rise to the very top. So you basically you went from yes left tackle absolutely to maybe left tackle it depends. Well, I mean, I'm just saying it depends. A lot of it depends on where you're drafting. I mean, I think they need a future left tackle. And if you're sitting there drafting at 32, and a guy falls in your lap, absolutely. If you're drafting at, you know, 10 overall, you know, it depends. You know, there's there's got to be a reason why you're drafting there. And I don't think that would necessarily all be on the left tackle. But I, like I said, I, I think it's the I think it's the biggest future need that we have at this point. And, and the reason I'm saying that is because I believe in guys like Jamar Taylor. I believe in guys like Golden Tripp. I believe in some of these young guys. I know the, the Dolphins are really high on um, Walt Aiken. I think they think he can be a, a starting free safety. So, there are some players there that can fill spots. 
and if they can, then I, I would have no problem, you know, trading up from wherever they are to get one of the top left tackles in this draft. Well, you know what? I'm a, I'm a lot happier that you decided to go the route of well, if I like the if better than the absolutely yes because you know what? To make to be able to say absolutely yes, you have to be able to see into the future. And unless there is somebody who has psychic powers here, I don't think we can do that. It really does depend I think, on. I think, what, I think how, we introduced it as conditional, as that's the way you go unless there's an outstanding guy there. But, I mean, you're long past the point of looking at this as just pure contingency plan. You have a quarterback there who has taken an absolute beating and got closer to the David Carr zone than I think most people are comfortable with, with seeing. So at what point do you just say, let's just roll the dice again and hope that he doesn't get blown away? Well, you know what? As long as Dallas Thomas is on the line somewhere, I'm 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 worried because it's still Dallas Thomas and Gerald McCoy can put him on his butt whenever he wants. And uh, well, and here's and, one here's here's one thing about here's one thing about it. And I know this is just OTAs and mini camps, and that doesn't really mean anything. Aside from an occasional tweet that uh, Indominus Sue just abused Billy Turner or whoever it was. No one said anything about the offensive line. No one. And well, I can't see how you can say much about it when they're not hitting each other. I doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. It didn't even make any sense to me. How can you say that some this that Sue has dominated anybody when they're not allowed to hit each other? How did he dominate? Footwork. Well, man, I, and I understand it. A lot of us. A lot of it's about technique. But even then, if a player is bad, it's going to show up. I mean, if a guy's going to get beat, he's going to get beat. Um, hand placement, just footwork. Um, you know, you don't even need to hit somebody if if a offensive tackle doesn't, as, as Mayock puts it, doesn't sit in the chair and he starts to reach. I don't even need, you know, you wouldn't even need to hit the guy to swap his arms out of the way and he's gonna fall down. I mean, you know, a pro pro defensive end could do that. So you don't even need real contact necessarily see some of those traits. What what is promising is that these guys may have shown some better technique. Now that doesn't mean preseason won't roll around and. Dallas Thomas and Billy Turner both get abused, but it it, it is somewhat reassuring that it wasn't this constant. All oh, these guys are getting beat like drums every day. Uh, these guys have don't know where to put their hands, or they don't know their technique, or something else like that. So yeah, it, it, it's and I agree with some of the stuff that I've read that you put out there about Billy Turner. It's like you know, when this guy gets the pads on, and I'll put a a, a fan shot up on the side about some plays. It was um, Matt Bowen put a thing on uh, Bleacher Report about a, a unstoppable NFL plays, and one that's a counter run. It's one that I always use in Madden. I love it. And, we, and Keith, you and I watched enough tape of Billy Turner. If that guy's playing right guard and they decide to do a counter left and he's he, he's pulling and leading out there, that that's going to be trouble. I mean, I, just, I don't want to be that linebacker that's going to have to take that on, you know. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm excited about that guy, and I agree with you, Lewis, on that. that when he gets pads on, he's going to maul people, and he's going to make people feel bad about themselves. The uh, it's not going to happen to Sue, of course, because he's in Jonathan Sue. But you know, everybody else out there, yeah, he's going to make them feel bad. So it, it's kind of wait and see on Dallas Thomas. I'm thinking, I'm not thinking he's the answer by any means. And I even said on a few podcasts ago, I believe Jamil Douglas wins the starting job, but. Maybe just maybe there's hope that putting him at left guard where he played in college, that's his bread and butter, and maybe he'll feel at home there and play well enough to where people aren't saying, I can't believe Dallas Thomas is still on the field at this point. 
Well, if Billy Turner's lighting up and Dominic and Sue, then, I mean, either shame on Dominic and Sue or shame on the Dolphins coaching staff for not having Billy Turner more part of the offensive line last year. Because I highly doubt that he goes in the span of five months or six months, really, from you know, not being a, a staple of the offensive line to someone who's taking out one of the best defensive tackles in the game. That just doesn't happen. And, and so, that's the I mean, plan I wish the Dolphins would use is I, I personally think that you could put Billy Turner at left tackle and he'd be fine there. The Dolphins won't do it, but I think eh, I, I don't, I don't know, know about I mean, that. He's got he's got to work on technique, and he's moved to guard now, so they're not going to do it. You don't put somebody at right guard and then say, oh, we're going to move to the left tackle now. But, I, 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 you know, I've seen some tape on the guy. I've watched how he played in the preseason. I think the guy's got the movement skills that he could play left tackle. I mean, he's he's ridiculously athletic, and I think he got by in college playing at the lower division on that athleticism. I don't know that he could win at the pro level with that, but he's a very smart guy, so you – you know, to get him in the in the film room, teach him the technique, I think he can handle a tackle. It's far more possible in the zone blocking scheme. I mean, it's something that I wouldn't necessarily want. I certainly wouldn't want to see right now. Uh, maybe it, it's something that these guys consider at some point, and, and, and God forbid if it's the, the wrong kind of situation. But in, in terms of the athleticism we saw on his tape and the, the high level of intelligence that he displayed, uh yeah, in the zone blocking scheme, it, given the right situation, I would at least consider it. But, I mean, the thing is, is, like, I like Brandon Albert. I really want Brandon Albert to stay healthy because I think that he is – and I, the numbers prove this. This team was so much better uh, when he was when he was there at left tackle, when he was healthy. So you want to see him in there. You want to see him contributing. You want to see him healthy. And if he goes down, then it just turns into this whole uh, left tackle by committee. And I think that that just hurts you across the board in terms of offensive line and your team, especially your 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 quarterback, who's expected to really make a huge uh, step, huge steps, a huge amount of strides this season. So I mean, it just really mucks things up. And yes, I used an M on that one, not a not an F bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, Brandon, if you're out there listening to the show, we love you, man. It's not that we don't we, we're ready to put you to pasture or anything. It's uh, we're no, worried about no. what's behind you. Yeah, where we, I mean, if you go down, then I mean, we're effed. You know, and I don't want that because yeah, I, I mean, he obviously wants to be a big part of the team. He really took it on as a pride situation blocking for Ryan Tannehill and that won me over immediately. Not that he, he needed to say that for me to like him. But I mean And even he just, when he's I not mean, on the he, field, guys, even when he's not on the field, he's still a big part of the team because he he's taken it upon himself, unlike a lot of other guys, to actually teach the younger guys how to play. He took he 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 took Jawan James under his wing and showed him, look Here's how you do things in the zone blocking scheme. Here's how you do things at the NFL level. That's what I. That's why um, a long time, a while ago, I had actually written the thing about wanting to keep Cortland Finnegan, even if it's at a discount. It's got nothing to do with his ability on the field. I wanted to keep his brain. I wanted to keep his mind. His veteran savvy. He knows how to pass along knowledge 
not every veteran can do that. A lot of veterans can still play really well, but they they're not as good as at passing along their knowledge and helping other players get better. Albert is one of those rare individuals who can pass along what he knows and make other players better thanks to his tutelage. So even when he wasn't playing, he was still a big part of the team because he can show Juwan James, look, kid, here's how you do it. And that's I think that's, that's a big reason why Juwan James wasn't as bad as left tackle as he could have been. He was bad, no doubt, but he could have been a lot worse. Well, I mean, that's important going forward, but the Dolphins aren't paying him to be Obi-Wan Kenobi right now. I, I mean, like they're, they're in there because, I mean, they're looking for a franchise guy over on the left side of the line, which when he's healthy, he is. He's outstanding. I, I totally get that. Yeah. But I, I have no I'm I, not I, arguing that. I, no, I agree with your point, too, that you like to see this this sort of educator and stewardship that he took on. I mean, that's important. So, I mean, with, to, to that point, I absolutely agree, and I loved seeing that last year. So it, it, it takes a special brand of athlete. That it, at a point when you're wounded to get out there and still want to go ahead and help the guy who's playing behind you. And that was what made me admire Finnegan so much because he he pretty much, he literally came out and said, I hope Jamar Taylor takes the job from me. He wanted this kid to come out and beat him for the job. And that yeah. is the ultimate team move. And that's the philosophy that we have been, that the Dolphins have been trying to instill this whole off season. Last year, the model was stronger together. There was no stronger together, guys. There wasn't. This was, this was, may the best man win, and I'm going to take you down and all that crap. This year, it feels, the, the atmosphere around the team feels like stronger together. There was no stronger together? I feel like you just told me Santa Claus doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, Mike no, Wallace was all about Absolutely. the team. So, uh and by the way, I'm I'm still sorry that the, the Dolphins didn't bring Cortland Finnegan back. I know that really bothered you. So yeah, um, I, I'm I'm over it. I'm over it. And Jamar <laughs> well, Taylor, and, the Jamar Taylor got his lessons. Now it's time for him to step up. Yeah, and that's one thing about corners that I mean that uh, a lot of people, you know, they always expect high draft picks or early draft picks to come in and contribute immediately. And if they don't come in and and are successful immediately, that kind of it, it worries them, it troubles them. And I don't think a lot of people realize is cornerback takes a few years usually to to get a grasp on. And if you think about it, last year was was Jamar Taylor's at least on the field that was his rookie year. He only had like I think he had less than a hundred snaps in his actual rookie year. The guy didn't even get on the field. So last year was a, a rookie year for him. He was he was learning as if that was his first year on the field. And to put this in perspective, two cornerbacks had a similar grade rookie years, Sean Smith and uh, Darrell Revis. They graded by PFF similarly their rookie years. Now, obviously, Revis took his to another level, but Sean Smith hasn't taken his to yet. But still, as far as coverage grades goes, they, they rated them about the same as rookies. So even the best of the best, take some time to get there. So that's why I'm, I'm not too concerned with Jamar Taylor. I think he's learning. He, he learned last year. It was kind of a trial by fire. He had his rookie year where he got the mental reps. Now he's on the field, and he's, it's going to start to show now. Um, hopefully the same thing happens with Will Davis. But 
you know, I've not heard as much from him, and he's been limited because of his recovery. So uh, from, from everything I've read, I don't think Jamar Taylor's losing that spot. No, Taylor's got it handled. If he stays healthy, that's his spot. I'm not even worried about that. No question. Again, and you know I what agree. else? You know what else? You know what else bugs me about this whole Albert mess? I'm going to bring this up because uh, you guys brought up how he looks beat up and all that stuff, and reports this, reports this. They bring up all the time, all the time how much Brandon Albert is walking with a limp. That annoys me to no end. Albert has come out and said it. He always walks with a limp. Now, how bad is that limp? They never talk about that. They always say, oh, he's limping badly. Okay, define what badly is. If he always walks with a limp, does he have to be, like, on crutches for it to be badly? I don't understand. What is badly? He was running on a treadmill in Louis Delmas' Instagram video, so how bad can his limp really be? One one of the the first thing I would say there would be check the sources. Look who it was. It was saying. Well, everybody was saying it. It wasn't just Omar. It was like well, these I guys mean, are all looking it, at. I know it wasn't it wasn't Omar, but it was a lot of kind of your negative guys. Um, I I don't recall seeing some of these other guys saying, "Well, he looks bad," or because I mean I saw some tweets like, "Oh, this guy's not going to be ready. He's not going to be able to play for several weeks in the season." Blah blah blah. It's kind of like just doom and gloom off the bat. And yet some other guys were like, "Brandon Ellis over there working out." I mean, there were some guys that just reported that he was over there working out. Others were injecting their kind of their opinion onto it, and it's usually the same kind of ones. And uh, not just him; it was, I think, it was some of the other Sentinel guys and the ESPN guy, and and you know, just they were all kind of like, "Oh, this is bad. He's over there, and he's kind of got a little bit of a limp. You know, season's over. Pack it up." And you know, I'm like, you know, just give it a rest. Uh, there's like two or three good Twitter guys out there, reporters to follow. Um, the rest are kind of you kind of pick and choose what what you want to hear from them because some of it's uh, it's just all yeah just a mess with them. So yeah, I'm not too concerned with that because I think I I think it was blown out of proportion by you guys. That's what I just him. I just I'm sorry. Said let him limp in peace. I'm gonna when I get to camp, I'm gonna be taking a good close look at what exactly is this limp that Brandon Albert is having. Because if it doesn't look like it, if it doesn't look that bad, I'm just gonna pretty much say, guys, he looks okay if you ask me. Like, I think he'll be ready. Well, I mean, it's like you said, he was running on a treadmill, and then some of the some of what I was reading on Twitter was basically like, this guy's this guy's walking so badly he, he can't he can barely move. So unless he's regressed to some point, I mean how, those two just don't correlate. I mean to me, if you're running on a treadmill, you're not over there on the sidelines hobbling around barely walking. Those two just don't just don't add up. Um unless so, they want to, unless they want to go with the idea that he's tired because he's been he's maybe he's out of shape because he hasn't been able to exercise for a while. But he's been busting his tail lately, so I don't. Maybe he yeah, but I mean, overworked even, himself. Even then, I mean, to me, if they say the guy's limping so bad that he's not going to be ready for the season, that to me is not you know a guy hobbling around, barely moving around. Not. I mean, I understand there's a, a different level to to being in football caliber shape and, and ready to go out on the field, but 
the way that the tweets were sounding was if the guy was over there just kind of, you know, dragging that leg around like it was bum or something. Yet we've, we've seen evidence since he's been in the like the ESPN, uh, I mean NFL.com ran an article of him uh, doing some boxing training. Uh, talk about the Instagram treadmill thing. I mean those two just don't correlate unless some, unless he's has setback. Well. I mean, if he's got a natural limp, that's one thing. If he's walking around like Mr. Burns, it's a different thing entirely. I suspect it's more of the former. I, I remember hearing when he came out of Virginia that uh, there, he had that thing where he just kind of had that that. I don't I don't think they called it a limp at the time. They they had some other, other ridiculous term for it, but I'm not worried about Flag. it as of right now. So no. Does he walk with swagger? Uh, is that why? No, that's definitely not what they said. But you just you worry once the pads get on. You just want the guy to stay healthy because if he's not, we're going to have a bad time. I mean, he's a key part of this of this offense going forward, and I want him to be a part of it. I'm not even worried about the money that I mean we have into him. I just want to see him stay healthy and play well because he's important to Ryan Tannehill's development. He's important to the entire offense's uh, output this year. So. Uh, we'll shift the discussion. We got a couple minutes left. Uh, I, I'm not making a light of this situation at all, but this whole thing with fireworks over the weekend, with oh my the Fourth of July, uh, I have never seen anything like. I remember ten years ago when you the whole epidemic with athletes getting hurt on on high speed motorbikes was going on. Like, I always come back to, like, when Jay Williams was playing for the Bulls and he got hurt, uh, and that was a big one. And then uh, Kellen Winslow, uh, the second, got hurt. And it was just thing with all these all these young, uh, outstanding athletes are getting hurt on, on motorbikes, at these uh, crotch rockets, if you will. And people started to think, like, you know, there should be some, some sort of language in these contracts to keep these guys off these things. It's obviously a little bit different when it comes to fireworks, but I've never seen I in that I can recall a situation this weird where over the span of a weekend you had multiple accidents, you had guys uh, include, including one very prominent name, you know, he lost and you know, he ended up having a finger amputated as a result. I understand that if you're playing on the if you're playing on the defensive line, your fingers are all messed up anyway. I, I always think that like when Michael Strahan used to show like how flexible his finger joints were just because of how many times they had been dislocated and mangled and whatnot. And it was really disgusting to watch. So I understand that if you're going to play a position, maybe losing your right index finger at defensive end isn't the end of the world. But it's the fact that over the why, – why is my stud pass rusher getting injured due to fireworks? How do you and, even and injure you, yourself during fireworks unless you're doing something really stupid? Exactly. C.J. Wilson's another one down in uh, uh, Tampa. I, I think he ended up losing two fingers. And he's a corner, so he's done. Yeah. You need I your mean, fingers as a corner. It's just, I mean, it's sad. I mean, like, I'm not even making jokes about it. I put something out yesterday, and a lot of people got really mad at me that, I mean, you just think, like, this is the kind of thing you'd see in literature. Like, don't play with fireworks in the contract. So, um, but I just thought it was incredibly bizarre. And I really felt bad for Jason Pierre-Paul last, uh, last night when the news came out that uh, he ended up having that finger amputated. Because, I mean, 
we're we're just bystanders. All we do is sit sit around and commentate and analyze the game. We're not actually out there playing, making a living, putting food on the table as a result of this game. So you don't want to ever see anyone's livelihood or, or yeah um, taken away from them. So that part of it is sad. But I just I I can't believe that it. These guys make so much money. Have someone else like the fireworks off for you. They hire people to do everything else. It baffles the mind sometimes, Keith. It really does. I, I, I wonder what it is. It doesn't seem to sink into these players' heads. You are getting paid millions and millions of dollars. Even rookies, not even millions yet, 100000 or whatever, maybe, because you're not a fifth first-round draft pick or whatever, but you're still making a lot of money. You're getting paid to play football at the highest level, so you're not only you you're not only making money, you are a celebrity for, for from everybody's point of view simply because you are in the NFL, and you're throwing it all away for what? For what? What are you doing? Like I I, I feel sorry for I, I feel sorry for JPP. I feel sorry for CJ Wilson. I really do because now they're going to have to suffer. But I can't help but wonder what are you doing? that that kind of stuff happens to you. Like, did you try to light, did you try to light the stupid firework with the match in between your teeth or something and then stand there? What were you doing? And this time... Yeah. And... There were a couple ah. of other things James and I were talking about. Uh, I read an art, uh, a headline, actually, I didn't read the whole article, that said a, a woman wanted stronger legislation after her son died from setting a firework off on his head. And I was talking with James, and I was like, Just what, what goes through your mind to do that? And he, he's, his response is food, and that's the only thing that makes sense, is uh, why would you do something like that? And is legislation really going to stop that? That's that's another argument for another day. But the... To, to your point, Lewis, I, I think it goes back. I mean, I was, I was that young at one point, and I did stupid stuff too. And it, it's just one of these. It's not going to happen to me. Mentalities. I mean, these guys are professional athletes. They they can do things that other human beings can't do. And it just maybe it's this mentality. This is not going to happen to me because you know, was it that uh, that I'm Keith Hernandez moment or whatever from Seinfeld. Um, yeah, that, that's what it's going to be. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so and so football player. This, this, this accident is not going to happen to me. So, um, do they go uh, in real football games things. with that? I don't mean to interrupt. Uh, I just, uh, we have a very special guest. Actually, one thing, uh, Kevin, our uh, site host, uh, Captain Antoniel, is uh, decided to give us a call. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for the great intro. You're welcome. You deserve it. It's been so long. You told you told us you were going to call in a couple of weeks ago, and then you didn't. Yeah, I didn't. But so I figured I'd, I'd go ahead and give you guys the honor of me talking to you for once. Oh, that's nice. No, I think we actually had that show purely. I set that show up purely because you said you were going to call in because that was <laughs> that was when I was work I was working like 14 hour days at the time, and I was like, I really don't want to have a show. Uh, unless I unless I need to, or, or unless something Dolphins related comes on that's uh, actually worth talking about for ninety minutes or so. But you know, here we are. So um, I, I like I like being I say, more of a surprise than just scheduled. You work. You definitely work. 
I think how do the kids say on Twitter? You lurk like a boss. I think it's yeah, how they talk. I'm good at that. Yes. Um, so I take it you managed to not maim yourself over the Fourth of July with any fireworks. I, I did not uh, blow a finger off or have to have anything amputated. Um, so since we're discussing dumb things with fireworks, did y'all hear about the kid in Maine? Makes anything that happened uh, to Jay or. Uh, uh, I JVP didn't hear anything or about CJ that. Wilson. This kid apparently decided to take one of those reloadable mo- mortar tubes for fireworks, and he was joking around with his friends that he was going to set it off on his head. And his friends <laughs> talked him out of it, and then he did it. Yeah, Ugh. it didn't go well. So, how many no. body parts did he lose? I, I don't know, but the friend said by, that. As soon as it exploded, they ran to do uh, first aid, and they realized it wasn't worth it, that there was nothing they uh, could do. So wow. Um, I, I'm not assuming well, that JPP or, or Wilson did anything dumb with it, but at least theirs wasn't that bad. Well, here's my question, and I haven't seen anyone who's been able to confirm this for me. What kind of – were they using fireworks, or were they playing with dynamite? Uh, I don't know that. Uh, all I've heard because is firework accident. All I know is that uh, the firework, I, and I use firework loosely, of choice in my subdivision is the M80. Yeah. And I had it, right. I was walking, actually, after my show last week, I took my dog for a walk, and, and some jackass was out on his front porch, and literally... Probably about 20 seconds after I walked by his house, he threw a um, an M80 out there. It blew up. And, I mean, obviously, so my dog is a, an absolute wreck at that point. And you know who did it because it leaves that, that vapor up in the air. Yep. You can see it. You know where it came from. And I was just like, what are you doing? So that was the one thing I thought. I was like, were these guys messing around with uh, with M80s or did they, did, did they suffer severe burns from something? I don't know, but from from what I have heard, and granted, this is all speculation. I know that Schefter put out the um, actual medical report or medical records, but yeah, the uh, chart. From from what I I've heard, and again, speculation ish, was that it was whatever was happened to JPP's finger, it would have been okay but it may have resulted in him not being able to play at least for a while. So it may have been a take the finger because I'm a defensive end and don't really need it thing. Oh, so it's like his Ronnie Lott Lott moment? That is is what I have heard now. I don't know how true that is. It may have been a – Go ahead, take my finger. I don't need it. It may have been a – No, I want my finger. It may have been a worse accident, and it had to come off, but that is what I have heard. Um. The thumb is supposedly fractured, and it's going to take a while, and it may t- it may cause him to miss into training camp the preseason. But that, from what I've heard, is it may have been, hey, just take the finger because I'll get back on the field faster. That's gross. Okay, well, if that's what really happened, then he's dumber than I thought. I have a question for someone who wouldn't have more information on this. How much power does one of those – a particular firework have. Um, and the reason I asked is because I remember, I think it was an episode of Mythbusters where they showed um, if 
if you if you had a revolver and you stuck your hand over the exhaust part from where the when you fire the exhaust from where the not the actual barrel but the exhaust part that it can blow your fingers off. And so I just wondered, you know, if the if the explosive power of of a bullet can do that or come out of that way, how 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 much are these fireworks in comparison to that? Um, yeah. An M80 is a quarter stick of dynamite. I think that's the right ratio. Yeah. I think an M80 plus is half a stick. An M80 is a quarter stick. So I mean, it's going to have a good, it's going to have a good explosive rate, um, if that's what it is. Again, that's all speculation and just guessing. Um, everything else is smaller than that. Usually, I mean, if you're getting the big mortar tubes, you're going to get some big stuff, especially since most of those usually hold multiple fireworks, so they're going to shoot off a bunch at a time. So it, it's hard to say, but, yeah, the, the the best ratio is an M80 is a quarter stick of dynamite. Yeah, I know there's an M1000, too, and that's obviously a, a fuller dose. I don't know if, yeah. if that's a – I think it's a half stick is the M1000, if I'm not mistaken, or I don't know. You can tell I don't do this often. But I remember when I was a kid <laughs> and we had a we had a lake house, and our neighbors used to light off a lot of, uh, well, quarter sticks of dynamite, and they'd throw it, throw it in the water and whatnot, which, I'm not going to lie, is a pretty amazing scene. But it's incredibly dangerous, too. And even at the time, I was like, what are you doing? Like, I mean, is it really is it really worth losing? Because, I, I mean, you're in danger of losing your entire hand. Best-case scenario with that stuff. You know, you think about the damage. I mean, it could yeah. kill you. So, I mean, I don't know. I just find it strange. Yeah. I find it strange that I mean, we, we've gone through all these July 4th celebrations without any athletes getting hurt, and then one year we have two guys lose yeah, uh, at the same time. Lose fingers. So, so we, should take, we should take prop bets on, on what next year's uh, off-season. Weird. Yeah, weird issue of the year. Like unified yeah. accidents or something? I don't know. Yeah. Well, when I, Tom when Brady drowned falling off of a cliff. No. Um, <laughs> oh my. Okay. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna have multiple people slip and fall in the bathtub and dislocate their shoulder. Have you been, <laughs> have you been watching Big Bang Theory? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking Big Bang when I said that. Ducks. It's all for eighty nine cent ducks. <laughs> I, I took offense to that Big Bang Theory episode because I had dislocated my shoulder a couple of months prior to that. Oh. And when Penny had that whole that whole issue, I was like, "Look, I know what it's like when you dislocate your shoulder. You do not have a dislocated <laughs> shoulder." And he's like, "Now, Biff, now, Biff, don't con me." I didn't like that too much. When I heard the whole fireworks thing, I thought of, "Do you remember that? Uh, what's that Jeff Bridges movie, Arlington Road? Isn't that the movie that opens with that kid who like blew his hand off with the firework, and they they take him to the emergency room?" That's what immediately when I was reading that stuff, I was like, "Oh, let the movie come to life." So, and again, I'm, we're not I'm making jokes really about it. Multiple NFL players will be caught running with scissors. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's a weird situation. I mean, you hear it every year that people do stupid things with fireworks and injure themselves. But, yeah, for two NFL players to have 
essentially the same thing happened to him. Granted, one lost two fingers, one lost one, and it may have been different situations, but essentially the same thing happened. They injure their hands with fireworks. It's a really weird situation. You know what else is weird? I, I, I went... I went to uh, a fireworks display with my family to, you know, celebrate and blah, 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 blah. And the fireworks that they were shooting off, these guys didn't really seem to know what they were doing. Fireworks were not being timed correctly. Uh, things were falling down to the ground prematurely. It, it's almost like there's like – how did you guys do any fireworks displays? And how were they? Were they bad? Were they like, hey, what's going on here? Because maybe there's something wrong with the fireworks themselves. Well, I, I did not uh, this year, so my, I, I can't say anything. Rock. Go ahead. Did we, did we lose Kevin? Uh, I only hear oh, you now. Did you guys hear me? Oh, I'm back. Oh, good, you're back. <laughs> Thank goodness, we were worried. What were you going to say? I just, I just took a, a, a slight pause there and decided not to play for a minute. No, I was just saying I didn't. I did not do fireworks this year. I saw some from my house, but I didn't do a actual show this year, so I couldn't really comment. Uh, my band played a fireworks show this year. It's the last Fourth of July I'm going to do because uh, I'm taking a step back from uh, that group. But um, this town we played in was rather podunk. It's like something you'd see on South Park or something, and um, they had a fireworks show, and in the middle of it, uh, you had all these huge displays shooting up in the air, and then the the resulting boom, and then all of a sudden, you just see you hear this boom come off the ground by the fireworks where the fireworks were coming from, and then this like huge like sulfur cloud because I mean, one of them had apparently misfired and it injured a few people. Yeah. I think they were they were burned, and then it came out immediately. They were like, "Don't worry," they walked away, and I thought, "Yeah, but did they have their hands?" <laughs> yeah, and walked away. But uh, yeah, great. Sure yeah, yeah, you're alive. You, I guess you can count your blessings. You're alive. Bad news. You lost a hand. Nah, that, yeah, I'm not gonna be to... feeling very lucky that right now. Well, now you have like, I mean, one of those like terminate Terminator claws, which would actually would be kind of badass. I'm not going to lie. I mean, uh, we can, I we can talk about walking town. away from an accident, Duke. I grew up in a small town. We. Usually, they're just basically they had one small fireworks show. Actually, it was down at the local elementary school. It was on the playground, so you could get yeah within 150 yards where they actually shooting them off and watch them. And I was there one year, and something went wrong, and they all started going off on the ground. So that was kind of scary and fun to watch all at the same time. Luckily, no one got hurt. I mean, talking about accidents this week. I mean. Austin Dillon with his car exploding in the NASCAR race, and somehow that guy just walked away perfectly fine. So I know Duke and I can sit here and talk about that if y'all really want. That was the that was the scariest uh, NASCAR accident I've ever seen. Absolutely, the only wreck I mean, that I've ever seen that 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 I personally witnessed that came close was uh, I can't remember his name. He was an open wheel driver. It was actually during a uh, during football season, he wasn't even he wasn't even competing for points in the race. It was at Las Vegas. Something happened. He went up and shredded the fence and died. Um, and I remember, cause I remember I was on the side. I was talking with Kevin about it at the time. Um, but aside from that one, 
that's the scariest wreck I've ever seen. It just he took out two poles, sheared them off at the base. The car just came to a complete stop, and you know it doesn't sound like much, but going at 200 miles an hour and then basically just coming to rest about 100 yards from where you were at. There's a lot of a lot of momentum and energy that had to go somewhere. The uh, the motor was laying about 100 yards off in the grass, um, and then to, to put a, to add on top of that, another car was wrecking and spun in and hit the same car. Uh, and then the guy gets out, he, he walks away. So that was. I mean, and and when you compare it, obviously the obvious comparison is to Earnhardt's wreck at the same track in the same car number. When Earnhardt died, it did not look like that bad a wreck. Now, granted, he hit the wall hard, but it did not look like that bad a wreck. Mm-hmm. And you find out that he died in the car. Then the three-car this year, and I don't know if you guys saw it, highlights or anything, but Denny Hamlin was in second, I think, as they crossed the line. He mm-hmm. got turned, came back, hit the three-car. It went up in the air and over two lanes of traffic into the catch fence and then did exactly what Duke said. And yeah, and he, he got out. They were and all away they were all in NASCAR terms. They were checking up. They were um, because of the wreck. They were, the people it was, it was just basically an accordion effect. And the way those cars are built, the, the the back end is up high enough where the nose of the car behind it can actually get underneath it, especially in that kind of event. Just went airborne, and they actually showed the end car from Tony's car. He 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 went under it right as it hit the fence. Yeah. Um just just directly under it. It was. Uh, it, it was enough that I was actually – because this was like 2.45 in the morning. I should have been asleep, but I was watching this. My wife was asleep, and, and I'm just, I'm standing up kind of watching it because you know, I'm expecting some excitement, and then it happens, and I was like, oh! And I woke her up, and, and we sat there and watched it. I, I mean, I, I literally thought the worst would happen, and they, should, they played yeah. some – they played actually Dale, uh, Dale Jr., who won the race. They played his in-car audio. Uh, as he came across the finish line, I saw a YouTube video of it. And uh, he pretty much reacted similar fashion. He was he shook him up, but you could tell after the race during the interview that he was his interviews are always kind of shaky anyway. Because I just get the impression he doesn't like to really do interviews much. But you could just tell he was very shook up by it. Yeah, um, and you know that you know that it being the three car had to mess with him too. Yeah, I mean at at that yeah. place the three car exploding like that. Yeah, but okay, so. Um, Back to actually talking football and actually getting, like, I don't know, the host of the show back in. So, uh, hey, Keith, how are you? I'm hanging. <laughs> I figured I, I we figured had I'd vintage, just let you guys. We had vintage Finsider for a moment there. <laughs> yeah, I figured I'd just let them get their uh, their NASCAR out of their system because I know that's something that they're itching to talk about. That's fine. <laughs> I don't mind. Um, I don't know if you guys talk this, and I know there's only, like, ten minutes left in the show. Um. Did you guys talk Kenny Stabler passing away? No, we haven't mentioned that yet. That was going to be one of my last things. Way to steal my Yeah, hunger, I just wanted actually. to say that, yeah, he he succumbed to prostate cancer at 69. It was, I mean, great rivalry with the Dolphins, and Kenny Stabler was one of the greats that is right there on that borderline Hall of Famer. He was a finalist three times. But, yeah, he passed away today. It was kind of a weird he passed away, then reports where he didn't, then it was, then it wasn't. But it is finally confirmed that, yes, he did pass away. So just a minute to remember Kenny Stabler from the Raiders, uh, Oilers, and Saints. So, but 
I guess uh, on that note, unless you guys want to say anything else. Um, no, I mean, he was definitely one of my uh, – he, he was always a player I really liked, uh, even though I obviously don't like the, the Oakland Raiders, but I was always a big fan of his. Uh, obviously long after the fact, just because, I mean, he was – his heyday was before young. I was alive. Yes, well, I mean, relatively speaking. Uh, <laughs> so, although I'm not, I'm not that much younger than, than you guys. So, and – I mean, uh, Lewis, uh, not not counting him. So uh, I I know I uh, my dad always kind of enjoyed Kenny Stabler because he was sort of that hard drinking, hard partying quarterback. Uh, kind of really continued the whole Joe Namath thing, but with like you know more of a more of a mullet, if you will. And <laughs> I always thought it was yeah. kind of interesting. They were both they were both uh, they both played at the University of Alabama, so I don't know if there was just something in the water at the time that just made these these quarterbacks, these sort of Van Wilder types, where they're just, I mean, it's just a walking party all the time. But I enjoyed his beer commercials. I just, I, he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I feel like the people who, who keep him out don't have a right to do that. I remember one time they were talking to uh, Paul Zimmerman, uh, Dr. Z, uh, a lot of people know him as from, uh, he was with Sports Illustrated. And uh, he was talking about how uh, as long as he would live, he would, as long as he lived, he would he would do anything and everything in his power to keep Kenny Stabler out of the Hall of Fame, and I always thought that was wrong, because I mean he's you're making it about he's making it about him. What have yeah. you done on on the football field to earn that? I mean that, that's complete garbage. So yeah, Kenny Stabler should be in the Hall of Fame, considering the fact that he was a high-profile high quarterback and really should have won more Super Bowls. The reason he didn't is he just happened to be in the AFC at the absolute worst possible time. Yep. When he, I mean, he had the Dolphins and then the Pittsburgh Steelers. And obviously, he gets by the Dolphins with the Lucia Hands game in 74. Uh, but, I mean, just a, even for a guy who really couldn't have hit the NFL at the worst time in terms of AFC dominance, I mean, that team still wins the Super Bowl. You know, they get by Pittsburgh, they go they go they go to I believe that Super Bowl was in Pasadena and they beat the Minnesota Vikings. So But I mean, um, those were great. then again, who doesn't go to the Super Bowl and beat the Minnesota Vikings? Uh easy, easy, easy. Oh. I actually uh, I would feel uh yeah, oh in the seventies, I mean they don't even go anymore. How great would a Vikings Bills Super Bowl be? Because neither one could win. Yeah, that something would have to happen with that. So sort of like it keeps it goes into overtime but never ends. <laughs> Playing the next season, that game's still going. So. I mean, yeah, we just said the same thing though. Like, I mean, Oakland was in a bad situation in that they had to play against these really good AFC teams. Well, so did the Minnesota Vikings. You know, the Minnesota yeah. Vikings in the seventies. A lot of people don't know this. They played outdoors. They played at Metropolitan Stadium, and there was a rule in the NFL at that time that uh, you could refuse heaters on your sideline if you're the home team and the, the other team couldn't have them either. Like if you took right. heaters on your side of, on your sideline as the home team, then the other team could have them. So Plug Grant, who's the head coach, would just refuse heaters. And he's out there walking around in minus temperatures in January when they're in the playoffs, and he's wearing short sleeve shirts. That's insane. But, I mean, they had a great – Great outdoor home field advantage. I mean, those were really good teams, and it just so happened that look at all the teams they lost to in the Super Bowl. I mean, the Dolphins, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Oakland Raiders. 
which happened to be three incredible teams in the 70s. You know, and they also lost to the Kansas City Chiefs at the at the beginning of the decade, which, I mean, they were a good team, too. They were due as well. So, bad luck all around. And, and I yeah, hope I the Raiders are ready for more bad news. That's all I'll say. Because they're oh. not going anywhere this year, either. Oh, that's that's so mean. You're probably right. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they might be going to, to Los Angeles. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure they want to hear on. that. Yeah, they might be going somewhere. Although, is it still St. Louis, the the team most likely to make the jump to Inglewood, California? I think so. Um, I don't know if that's actually because of St. Louis or if that's more just their owner, but I think it probably is. Um, it's definitely the owner. I, I don't know Stan what's going to happen. Wants to move. I don't know what's going to happen with the Chargers. Well, I mean, the San Diego doesn't want to give them up, but they don't want to build a stadium either. No, and and Jack Murphy's uh, ancient. Yeah, I mean, you get, I mean, and the, that place is so ancient; it's still called Falcon. But yep, there's no reason. Absolutely, it, it's yeah. I mean, that is an obsolete stadium. So they, yeah, they need to get out of there. Uh, and it's just, I mean, I know it's a slap in the face of those people that, I mean, the Padres play in Petco Park, which is a really, really nice facility. And then you got the the Bolts over playing in uh, Noah's Ark uh, over there. So that, I, I know that for a while they thought the Raiders were in the lead in terms of teams that were going to make the, the jump to Los Angeles. Uh, I know everyone's nostalgic about the L.A. Rams coming back. Uh, I actually saw the L.A. Rams play at Soldier Field in 1994. Uh, don't all get envious at once, but I will say their best player at that time was Jerome Bettis. So uh, that's something. Uh, everyone, everyone listening to this podcast, like, who is Jerome Bettis? Because they're all kids. So now does Chris Everett still play for them? Yeah, uh, that was his first. No, uh, Chris Everett was in uh, New Orleans that year. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, call call um, me Chris one more time. Yeah, I don't say speaking of youngsters, there's a whole group of them out there that maybe maybe they didn't get that reference. No, not at all. No, no, no. First yeah. off, didn't get the reference, and second, don't know who we're even trying to reference in the first place. <laughs> either Everett. Well, we're talking about Jim Everett, who was an NFL quarterback in the late '80s and early '90s. He played at the University of Purdue. And he was, uh, I believe he was, the, was he the number three overall pick in the 1986 NFL draft? I believe he was drafted by the Houston Oilers. I'm going off memory. I'm not looking at anything right now. Okay. And, and for you, the reference, there are kids that are, that are listening that don't know who the Houston Oilers were. Oh, I'm sorry. He was drafted by the, the future Tennessee Titans. <laughs> back, back when they had, although I miss the Houston Oilers, they had that oil the oil tower on yeah. there. That was a slick look. I missed that. But so Jim Everett that's also, on, uh, that's also an insult to our fan base because we've actually, when we did Sam Sider TV, we actually had a former Houston Oiler come on and talk to us. Reggie that's Reggie right. Me to, get him. Me to get him back. But Jim Everett appeared um, on the, when Jim Rome was on ESPN2 way back. I think it was ESPN2. And, yeah, he had Jim so, Everett yeah. on and kept calling him Chris Everett which is something that Jim Everett detested because Chris Everett, the famous tennis player, female tennis player, 
and Tim yeah. Everett like flipped flipped over a table and like tried to beat his ass. I mean, I remember watching that. I watched that live actually. So. And for the record, Qualcomm Stadium, because I did have to look this up. Qualcomm Stadium opened in 1967. So yeah. think about the Dolphins with Joe Robbie Stadium needing all these renovations in 1987. That one's 20 years older. Well, it's not even the oldest stadium. Didn't didn't Oakland Alameda Coliseum didn't it open in '66? Can, uh, can we get a can we get staff boy on that, please? I can. By the way, we we have a little over a minute, so we're gonna have to wrap this up. But I'm fairly certain that place opened in 1966, and that's the that's the oldest facility in the NFL. Well, no, um, Oakland Coliseum opened in '66. You have two older stadiums that have both been completely redone. Yeah, I mean, ones that haven't seen anything <laughs> past their, uh, I'm sorry, when they added those gaudy uh, bleachers way up there, which always looked ridiculous, by the way. Soldier Field is obviously the oldest, followed by Lambeau. Yeah, those are re- those are heavily renoed, though. Those don't count. Soldier yeah. Field looks like a spaceship now. Uh, okay, so we're in our last 30 seconds. Thank you very much for Kevin coming out. We keep running out of time, and I said a lot of time this time around. Uh, thank you to Lewis, our <laughs> special guest. Always love having him on the show. As always, my uh, my faithful co-host Duke. I feel like I'm winding down for, on a uh, on Oscars. So um, <laughs> thank you, everyone, and we'll do this again next week. Good night, Good night everyone. Good night, everyone. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.